Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity, let me straighten this camera out. This is Safety Wars for there we go. This is Safety Wars for... Oh, what day is it today? It is Wednesday, June 12th, 2023. So, now in our intro here, right, it says we're not uh, usually involved in the stories we cover. Well, this week we are. Today we are. If you follow us on social media... Now we're on Facebook. We are on LinkedIn. We are on YouTube. We're on all these platforms, including some of the ones where we get a lot of support. Uh, we get a lot of support from uh, Doomsday Preppers uh, and the prepping community. Uh, I know some of the people are very PO'd at me uh, for being on some of these other platforms, but the message of safety and safety wars is universal. Right? And I'm willing to go to whomever, left wing or right wing, will listen. That's just the way it is. We have a No. I was just watching Star Trek episode. Uh, hold on. Uh, let this be your last battlefield. Alright. Uh, 1969. By the way, we're going to have a special guest from Star Trek here in the next couple of days. FYI, we uh, uh, had another interview that we did uh, recently also. Uh, so we're going to be... Uh, no, we have interviews coming up. So that's very exciting. So I am looking it up on the Internet Movie Database because I want to make sure we get everybody's names correctly here because this is one of the ones that uh, I... Uh, no, I forget. So let this be your last battlefield. This was a story uh, by Gene L. Coons, the other Gene in the, Rod- in the Star Trek uh, world, for lack of a better word. And this stars, uh, this episode starred Frank Gorshin, who you may recall, I want to make sure I had his name right, Frank Gorshin, who was the Riddler from the original Batman series. And the other one was Lou Antonio, right? And uh, what this episode was about was about an address. This is probably one of the most famous Star Trek episodes, Black versus White. Uh, right, a lot of the civil rights stuff going on in the 1960s, and uh, so uh, the 
two actors have a divide down their face. One is black on the right-hand side and white on the left-hand side. And the other one is left uh, black on the left-hand side and white on the right-hand side. And, you know, they're, they're talking about race relations and things of that nature, the social upheaval in the late 1960s. And the end result was that the planet that they were from was destroyed, was destroyed by their hatred and everything else. So what we're trying to do here is trying to unite people with safety. I'll talk to whoever on safety. I don't care. I'm putting that out there right now. Where I draw the line is I will not give out information. Uh, no, information is information. I'm not going to give out information on how to do certain things, especially when we get closer to Disaster Preparation Month, which is uh, September of every year. Uh, no, uh, no, Disaster Prep Month, whatever we're calling it now on stuff that can be taken and people do things wrong and, uh, you know, uh, nefarious. That I'm going to draw the line on. But we're willing to talk to whoever out there on safety. So uh, this week, we became part of the story. If you're on social media, you saw our footage. And by the way, this program, the stuff I put on the Internet, I was a a news uh we were in the news outlets, so Safety FM were the second ones on the scene of the floods in northern Rockland County. So the floods were uh, from uh, Route 6, if you're familiar with the area, which became, which, no, every time it rains, we get these nice, pretty waterfalls. You can check out our social media on that. Uh, so, uh, you know, nice waterfalls. But in this case, the waterfalls turned into rivers. And... Uh, that, that was on one road, and then Route 293 uh, was another road, uh, which is adjacent, which is a little bit north of Route 6, over by, if you're familiar, Woodbury Commons and the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. And essentially, both roads became rivers at certain points. The one on Route 6 was, I probably could have made it through, but I didn't do it. I said, well, let's go circle around Highland Falls. We went into Highland Falls and dude, and dudettes out there. I tell you what, river running right down Mountain Avenue. I mean, it was horrible. The footage is there. Uh, The footage that we shot was uh, similar footage on the news, but we got there first. But, uh, and so last night, uh, I now I'm a member of uh, Atonement Lutheran Church in Stony Point, New York. And Stony Point is where the Palisades Parkway was shut down, uh, both directions, I believe. Uh, Starting at Stony Point, I have not been up there. So members of my church were impacted by those things that were on the national news all week. No, starting Sunday night. Uh, A couple of families were impacted. My pastor was impacted by this and uh, was sharing some of the stuff with me. And... The reason why we have such passion, we've had passion uh, going back to my first company that I'm not going to mention the name of, uh, with Disaster Preparation Month. Why? Disasters can hit at any time. We're going to uh, 
talk more about this or better prepared this year with doing this uh, as far as programs and materials and training programs and everything else. Now, we are also disaster outreach trainers and first aid CPR uh, AED trainers here. And we also help companies prepare for emergency responses. You can ha- give us a call, 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com and you can work with us on all this stuff. Small companies, big companies, uh, whatever, you, what, no, whatever you are. Uh, no, this is what we do. We do the preparation. Uh, so, uh, quick story. My wife, when we first got married, we got married in 2011, April 30th, 2011. Uh, so uh, we had moved into our first house uh, in May of 2012, uh, less than two weeks after my son was born, I think, or it was a month before my uh, after my son was born. So we were relatively new homeowners. I had never owned a house. My wife owned a condominium, second floor. She really didn't have to worry about this. We had one problem in our marriage since we were married uh, at her condominium in White Plains. Uh, no damage, though, but we had a power outage for a couple of days. We went up and uh, spent a couple of days with her parents, uh, with my in-laws. And, you know, not really a big deal. And then... Uh, Big deal for the cat. The cat was freaking out. But anyway, uh, Scarlet. Uh, anyway, we, uh, yes, I always mention my cat, right? Uh, and then uh, we ended up, uh, we moved in. It was 2012, and we had got hit with Super Storm Sandy later that year. And we were prepared. My wife went along with the disaster preparedness stuff, Uh and then we got hit with Superstorm Sandy not having power for 11 days. Thank God we had gas. We had running water. You couldn't drink the water because the water treatment plant was underwater. Uh, but we had water and we had gas. By the way, gas usually lasts two or three days in the line as long as there's not a rupture. Uh, the natural gas coming into your house. And we survived. We had, you know, we, not, we thrived a little bit. Uh, but we learned our lessons. We applied it to our everything we talk about here. And uh, now with the floods and everything else, again, uh, I think most of those people did not realize that they were in a flood zone until they got seven and a half inches of rain. I mean, at West Point, uh, forget about it. Uh, the uh, Biddle Loop and Westmore Loop, I worked on those houses back in the 1990s, mid-1990s, 1995. Those houses were like underwater and the parking lot, some lots submerged. Their road under water, like a foot of water going down to uh, the Hudson River. I mean, it was, you know, it was horrible. He got caught out in it. My son was very disappointed uh, because his baseball game was uh, uh, canceled and they were winning in the third inning. So it wasn't a illegal third game. And they were in the championship game leading. So very frustrating. We were over at the uh, uh, Frozen Ropes uh, tournament out in... Uh, Wood Bat Tournament out in uh, out by Montgomery, New York, which is out on Route 
six, way out on route six. Uh, the other thing is this. We had been watching the Doppler radar all afternoon until the storm hit. And that Doppler radar didn't even indicate that there was going to be this huge rain event. Uh, so pretty surprising there uh, with that. And uh, that's what what's going on. So we're going to come back in a minute with our news and views. And we will uh, see you then. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Yes, I am your father. Uh, anyway, the uh, on some of the uh, 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 some of the feedback, they were like, "Where is your Safety Wars jersey?" I said, "Well, I only have one. I don't want to bring it in out to a job site, you know." But we re- resolved that. We ordered another one. I have another one on another two on order, actually. And uh, my wife liked it so much. I order. I may had one made for her. So it was one of the few articles of clothing that we ever agreed on, uh, right? So, you know, real quick uh, story on that. We were dating, and I believe it was our fourth date, and we were discussing. No, that's usually when you get down to more personal things, uh, at least my experience. And, you know, everyone out there is getting a good laugh over this. And uh, she says to me, uh, no, and we're talking about histories and things that more serious in depth. She said, I got a very personal question to ask you. I said, yeah, yeah, what, yeah what's that? Go, go for it, you know, because we're looking to see whether we can make this work. She says, are you colorblind? I said, no, I'm not colorblind. She said, you don't dress right. I said, okay. And she said, if we're going to be together, we're going to have to go clothes shopping. We're going to have to go clothes shopping. That's going to be date number five. I said, okay, we'll go. And so what do you think we did? We went down to the uh, casual tall big and male shop. And uh, we, I blew, I don't know how much money, but it was a lot of money on a new wardrobe. She said, if you are going to be with me, I don't care what you wear, 
when you're not with me. But if you're with me, this is what it's going to be. So I said, okay, well, it's probably a good idea because my campaign manager uh, had made the same similar comments. She says, you got to take a woman with your shopping. So, and it worked out. Uh, what's uh, funnier is my mother said like, wow, about two weeks later, boy, you're dressing a lot nicer now that you're going out with that girl. So here we are, how many years later, and tomorrow's her birthday. Okay, OSHA news release. So we are a little bit behind on these uh, with us, and, you know, we're the way it is. Uh, we're back in the studio today. Investigators find Cheney contractor exposed employees to potential fatal hazards as two workers avoid tragedy in Selena Trunch Collapse. Uh, I'm not going to mention this is a plumbing company and a trench nine foot below the surface. Uh, a worker employed by Precision Plumbing LLC was connecting a plumbing line to the municipal sewer in Salina in January when he was buried under dirt and rocks after a trench wall collapse. The company's foreman entered the trench and tried to dig a worker out. Soon after, he then became buried up to his knees when the trench collapsed further. For more than an hour, first responders worked to rescue the two workers. Both survived one of the construction industry's most serious hazards. I hope they played the lottery that night because I tell you what, not too many people make it out of those things that are reported. Usually if they're reported, uh, that means there is a fatality. And I'm going to tell you most of this shit's not reported, uh, you know, they, uh, with this. So uh, this is from OSHA area director Todd Underwood in Wichita. Fortunately, first responders rescued two workers when a nine-foot trench collapsed. This incident is a stark reminder of how soil can shift suddenly and bury a person within seconds. Many other workers are less fortunate. In fact, OSHA investigated the deaths of 39 workers in trench collapses in 2022 alone. OSHA's investigation led the agency... Uh, to issue the company two willful and six serious violations with proposed penalties of $333,949. Now, this is something that if you're a general contractor, you have to realize is that you are a usually a controlling contractor. That means that you have safety uh, responsibilities over the overall job, but not necessarily it's a specific activity going on so the general contractor was uh had fourteen thousand sixty three dollars in proposed fines so let's go into exactly what this is okay we have the violation in front of us this is for the plumbing contractor and by the way, I'm doing a uh, safety course next week, and we're probably going to be using these as examples, as case studies. Citation 1, item 1A. The employer did not develop, implement, or maintain at the workplace a written HASCOM program, 1910-1200, Citation 1, item 1B, another HASCOM violation. They didn't train their employee. On hazardous chemicals in the workplace, there was de minimis zero dollars. All right, so that was to the plumbing contractor. So we got a second set of citations here again to the 
plumbing contractor. Citation one, item one, serious. This is 1926, 100, no hard hats. That was $4,600. Citation one, item two, uh, serious. IR face protection, $4,600. Citation one, item three, underground installations are not protected. This is under the uh, excavation standards. Uh, supported or removed as necessary for to safeguard employees, $4,600. Citation one, item four, employees were not required to stand away from any vehicle being loaded or unloaded, right? So uh, to avoid being struck by any spillage or falling materials, $4,600. Citation two, item one, willful, serious. Employees were not protected from excavated or other materials or equipment that could pose a hazard by falling or rolling into excavations, or by a combination of both, if necessary. Proposed penalty, $156,259. And citation two, item two, willful. Serious, each employee in an excavation was not protected from cavens by an adequate protective system designed in accordance to uh, no, standards, $156,259 for a total of $331, $331,270. Do we have the, no, no, no. Now I'm going to go in here and see. So, uh, for the general contractor, it was one serious violation for failing to protect employees from cave-in and engulfment hazards, and the proposed penalty is 14063 So the GC got whacked here also. That does not happen on a lot of these uh, things, if you've been following along. OSHA announces a meeting of the Federal Advisory Council on Occupational Safety and Health on July 13th. Tomorrow, we covered this the other day. Check out the website by the time most of you are hearing this. It'll be too late. U.S. Department of Labor recognizes Idaho Agricultural Chemical Company continuous workplace safety record and renews the STAR designation. And the participant is AMVAC Chemical Corporation. Congratulations there, AMVAC. U.S. Department of Labor proposes $339,000 in fines after follow-up inspections. Fines of Verona, Missouri chemical plant continues to endanger workers. And this was for an ethylene uh, oxide situation, and they were visited uh, less than two years ago for the same uh, situation. And, all right, that's the link to that. So, uh, after its January 2023 follow-up inspection, the department's OSHA issued four repeat and nine serious safety and health violations to the company. The agency also issued a hazard alert letter for inadequate medical evaluation procedures for workers exposed to ethylene oxide. Hmm. So let's see here. For some reason, this document did not scan very well. Hey, maybe they could get a better scanner there. Usually it's very crisp. This is blurry. Citation one, item one, serious. 
1910-119, this is the employer did not establish or implement written procedures to manage changes in process chemicals, technology, equipment, and procedures and changes to facilities that affect covered workers. I believe this is the process safety management standard on here. Hold on. Let me look it up. File, new window, and... Bear with me. This is safety words. Now we are going to look. Process safety management. Yes. For that. I normally don't hit uh, deal with that uh, regulation, so I had to look it up. Type of uh, citation from item 2, uh, 15,625. It was uh, no emergency plan for the entire plant in accordance with 1910.38. That was also uh, part of 1910.119 subpart N, right? Got to have that in there. Citation one, item three, 1910-303. A listed or labeled electrical equipment was not used or installed in accordance to instructions included in the listing. Now, I have to uh, see this here. Uh, let me read a little bit more. The employer is failing to protect employees from electrical hazards that may result in shock, burns, and or electrocution. This was most recently documented in January at the work site. The conveyor motor covered on the fish bean bagger was broken and damaged. And, okay, 15625 Citation 2. Now, this is where you start to get expensive here. Citation 2, item 1. Type of violation. Repeat serious. This is process safety management standard also. The employer did not include all equipment that was part of the process on piping and instrument diagrams. $85,938. This is a repeat. Seems like an easy enough enough one to correct. I don't get it. Uh, this is a citation two, item two. Repeat serious. The employer did not document that equipment of compliance to recognize and generally expected, accepted good engineering practices. That's from the process safety management uh, standard. So I'm going to go a little bit more into that. The employer is failing to protect employees from exposure to toxic or highly hazardous chemicals. Okay, we get that. This was most recently documented in January. The employer, and I'm leaving out name, right, addresses and names here, right? The uh, employer did not follow their chosen, recognized, and generally expected, accepted good engineering practices, her ASME A13-1. The employer did not label piping containing ethylene oxide, trimethylalanine. How about you, trimethylalanine? I don't want to try it. Trimethylalanine, hydrochloric acid, and ethanol through the throughout area B. Improperly labeled and lack and of label process equipment can lead to employee opening an incorrect valve, inadvertent operation of equipment, and human error. Uh, me and one of our listeners out here, a verified listener, uh, Lori is her name, out in Colorado. I'll give a shout-out to Lori. She uh, and I were on a project where this led to a fatality here, and we were part of the fatality investigation together where a uh, pipe was not labeled correctly, and the permit to work uh there was a discrepancy in that permit to work on what was the correct pipe. And rather than stopping work and saying, oh, well, uh, let's double check 
double check, triple check, and everything else, the guy cut into the pipe and it exploded, pushing him approximately 12 feet in backward in the air, airborne, hitting a concrete wall, and uh, he started bleeding from the head from the blunt force trauma. That's not what killed him. It was uh, my understanding was that it was the uh, chops, the saw that he was using, which was a bandsaw, uh, had blown into 137 different pieces and had on four of those pieces killed him. Now, the uh, whose job do you think it was to put the bandsaw back together again? <laughs> anyway. Total, $218,751. And uh, let's go here. And there is more. Uh, yet there is more. What is this from? They issued him a second letter. I don't know. That's the second time this happened today. So uh, with these things. So I don't know. What is it? So. This is citation one, item one, respiratory protection standard, 1910-134. So uh, just uh, for the listener out there, there may not be a safety professional or maybe a newer safety professional. The 1910-134 respirator standard is what we call a horizontal standard, meaning no matter where you are in OSHA regulations, this, it all refers to the 1910-134 respirator standard for everything. So uh, employees using a tight-fitting face-fitting respirator were not annually fit-tested. $15,625. Citation 1, item 2, serious. Another respiratory protection standard. Respirators are not stored to protect them from damage, contamination, dust, sunlight, extreme temperatures, excessive moisture, and damage going on and on and on. And these were people who were potentially exposed to ethylene oxide uh, with this, uh, right? And uh, two employees, tight-fitting, full-face respirators were hung up in a bag uh, where it was exposed to chemicals and deformation of the face piece. So uh, real simple. It's either on your, in a bag or on your face. And in this case, that's one of my rules on this. In this case, it was in a bag in a work area that was that deformed it and everything else. So, uh, again, out of what we would call in the hazmat world or the hazwopper world, a uh, uh, what am I saying here? I lost my train of thought. What what we would call in the hazwopper world uh, the exclusion zone. So you keep it out of that exclusion zone, that work area. Citation one, item three A, violation. Uh, serious. The employer did not ensure that all nameplates and markings were maintained in a legible condition. This is nineteen ten one seventy eight, and the employer is failing to protect employees from caught by or caught struck by caught under and crushing hazards. Uh, and again, the nineteen ten no, this is not really poor, well written. The nineteen ten one seventy eight standards for powered. Uh, industrial trucks, a.k.a. Uh, forklifts, right? $9,800 for some labels. Citation one item 3B, type of violation, serious. An evaluation of each powered industrial truck's operator's performance was not being conducted at least once every three years. 
That was a de minimis violation, uh, $0 on that. Citation one, item 4A, serious. Monitor, it was 1910, 1047. And this was the ethylene oxide standard. Monitoring was not accurate to a confidence level of 95% to within plus or minus 25% for airborne concentrations of ethylene oxide at the one part per million time-weighted average and to within plus or minus 35% for airborne concentrations of ethylene oxide at the action level of 0.5 parts per million. Now, uh, they had to do some investigation on here. So if you are in charge of collecting industrial hygiene samples, this is all comes down to uh, proper documentation and everything else. Because they got whacked pretty good on this one. And this is one that we don't normally see here, at least in the press releases that we cover on this program. The employer is failing to protect employees from health hazards, health effects associated with ethylene oxide, such as irritation of the eyes, skin, nose, throat, and lungs, and damage to the brain and nervous system. This was most recently documented in January. The employers, now we got to listen to this now, right, and file this. The employer's air monitoring results revealed samples that were outside of time parameters. Samples not present and samples not being returned within the manufacturer's maximum recommended holding time. The accuracy of certain samples could not be determined due to these errors. This happens. I mean, so for ethylene oxide, we have an issue going on here, right? With uh, let's see, NIOSH methodology for ethylene oxide. So we go on over to the CDC uh, website, and I enter that in NIOSH methodology for ethylene oxide. I click on it. And the methodology here for ethylene oxide is do 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 methodology sixteen fourteen. Now they're in, I'm not sure what they were using, but you know usually these things are all uh, somewhat in the uh, 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 ballpark when they update these things and you no know, different methodologies. So OSHA has some, NIOSH has some. There are some other organizations, but they're all basically in the ballpark. But the most important thing that you have to do is that when you're doing industrial hygiene sampling is before you even go out there, you have to figure out how to do the sampling. That's, uh, you would think, you know, it's not like something, and if memory serves you right, I did do ethylene oxide sampling many, many, many years ago. And you have to go and talk to the laboratory and say, hey, what uh, are you able to analyze samples of ethylene oxide in air? And they're going to say yes or no. And now you're going to go uh, and uh, no. Okay, they're going to say, yeah, we're using this methodology. And they're going to give you some instructions. Or better yet, you go and you figure out what those instructions are uh, based on the uh, based on the uh uh what you have let me see if i can i'm going to be taking a risk here let me see if i could share the screen oh i can't believe it we're sharing the screen everybody 
So this is the methodology from the CDC website. And we're going to that, right, 1614, if you can notice, uh, right, where the cursor is on there, upper right-hand corner. Uh, OSHA PEL is one parts per million. NIOSH REL is 0.1 parts per million with a ceiling limit of five parts per million. And an ACGIH level, I'm going to uh, do the, right, ACGIH on one part per million of the threshold limit value. So we're going to come down. So uh, what are some of the uh, synonyms for ethylene oxide? It's one one two epoxy epoxy heth. Let me start over again. One two epoxy ethane. One two epoxy ethane and oxyrane. So the under the sampling, what do we have? We have a solid sorbent tube, HVR coated petroleum charcoal. So it's a 100 by 50 milligram thing. Um, that's, I'm not going to get into what that means without a tube in front of me. The flow rate. So since this is a, a charcoal tube, the flow rate is a lot lower. So you're not going to be uh, 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 you're not going to be running this at liters per minute, right? One, one to five, like for, you would for like a uh, uh, lead or something like that. So in this case, it's one liter, right? Uh, you need one liter uh, max, right? Volume minimum. I'm sorry, one liter, all right? And the max is 24 liters. And the flow rate is 0.5 to 0.15 liters per minute, which means however your flow rate is going to be on there, and you're going to be measuring that with a uh, flow monitor, flow meter of some sort, either a rotometer or they actually have uh, bubble generators or something like that that are all calibrated, up to date, and everything else. And you're not going, and you're going to be running it at that level, but you cannot go above 24 liters. So. Uh, I don't have my calculator here, but if I did, I would go out and figure out what the flow rate is at 0.1. I would shoot for 0.1 liters per minute. I got Hey, I got a calculator right here on a smartphone. So I would go and I would take uh, 24 liters is the maximum. And I'm going to divide it by, divide it by 0.1 and the maximum number of minutes is coming out. I'm getting 240 maximum minutes at that flow rate of 0.1, which would come out to, and it's late at night, four hours maximum runtime. Now, based on what I am reading in the original OSHA violation here, this is where they fouled up, one of the areas, where they exceeded the maximum either with the flow rate or the maximum, uh, they didn't meet these numbers, one liter to 24 liters. Now, the stability on here is the other thing. So on here, and if you're reading along with me, sample stability, 90% recovery after 17 days at 25 degrees Celsius in the dark. That means... If I was collecting the samples, if it were Jimmy Polzel were collecting samples, I do not do sample. I do not collect samples on the day before a day off. Jimmy, don't do that. Real simple. So my samples, let's say that you have a regular standard week, Sunday through Saturday. I'm going to collect those samples 
either on unless I can hand deliver them on Friday, which is a rarity, but sometimes I can do that. My samples are going to be collected from Monday through Thursday. Because if I overnight them, they get them there on Friday. Unless, of course, you can hand deliver them, which sometimes we can. The other thing is this. Depending on what you're sampling for, you may have uh, to collect those samples and have them to the laboratory within 24 hours. So that's why I only do it from Monday through Thursday. If I have a holiday thrown in there somehow, I adjust the schedule. I make sure that the, uh, so let's say the holiday is on a Tuesday, I will do the sampling on either a Wednesday or Thursday. This way, I do not hit that number here, whatever it is. So apparently what they did was, according to the, again, according to the ocean thing, and I'm speculating here, is that they could not do this, right? 90% recovery after 17 days at 25 degrees Celsius, which means, and it has to be in the dark because it's photosensitive, number one, and number two, it has its temperature sensitive, so 25 degrees Celsius. So uh, based on what I am looking here, the the employer's air monitoring results revealed samples were outside the time parameters, right? That's what that is, right? Or they like it was something screwed up with the when they put the samples on or off, but it was most likely what I'm talking about. Samples were not present, meaning that they collected samples and God knows what happened to them. Maybe that, you know, and the reason why OSHA comes down hard on that is that often employers will go and they will collect samples that are uh, that they know are dirty and they get lost somewhere in the process. The heck was that? I just heard a boom outside. Okay. Uh, and samples are not being returned within the manufacturer's maximum recommended holding time. That was what we pointed out there. The accuracy of certain samples could not be determined due to these errors. So chances are these samples, based on what I'm looking at here, uh, we're not accurate. Maybe they kept them on for a month. I've seen people do that, keep samples on for a month. Uh, and then they said, well, we're going to send everything in at one time. Again, uh, this is like amateur hour here. Or uh, the way it's often uh, portrayed, and let's hide this. The way, oh, no, how it's interpreted Uh right? All this stuff is that, uh, stop sharing the way that it's interpreted is that there's some type of obfuscation or something like that in the samples in the sample collection. Was that a little bit too deep of a dive? I don't know. I don't think so. I think we're going to have to post that separately. That whole story here. Uh, if I have time to edit this, uh, tomorrow. Yes, I do go into deep dives here when necessary so let me line up the next story here so we're at 43 minutes after the hour all right so that was one now citation one item 4b monitoring was not uh, accurate to a confidence level 95 percent to within plus or minus 35 percent for airborne concentrations uh, of ethylene oxide at the excursion limit so uh, all, uh, you know, it's the same deal with that. Uh, zero, but they got them for zero on that one. Uh, 
Citation one, item five. Again, this is, you got to do this. Employees are not notified within 15 working days after receipt of ethylene oxide monitoring results and in writing either individually or by posting results in an appropriate location accessible to affected employees. Uh, again, we don't normally see that here. I mean, they, they're on their groove no list here. And again, it was uh, things are not abated, so they basically threw the book at him. The employer is failing to protect employees from health hazards associated, blah, 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 uh, $12,278. Citation one, item six, type of violation, serious. This is a HASCOM uh, violation. Uh, the employer did not ensure that each container of hazardous chemicals in the workplace was labeled, tagged, or marked with the appropriate identifier and words, pictures, going on and on and on, 7,366. I think those are fireworks going off in the background from Boulder Stadium. Citation two, item one, type of violation, repeat serious. It's a 19-147 violation, lockout tag out, $50,000. All right. Citation two, item two, type of violation, repeat serious. Again, Unused openings and boxes, cabinets, and fittings were not effectively closed. This is 1910-305. So uh, this is what this looks like. It is uh, a repeat, but what we're looking at is, uh, so you know how you have an electric panel and sometimes, or a box with a, like a bull switch, or it could be a fuse, or it could be a circuit breaker, whatever you're using, fuses a little bit, but circuit breakers. And there are punch outs for wires and things of that nature. By the way, we were just talking about this because my brother and father worked at the company that makes those, uh, made those, at least the majority of them in this country, uh, ooh, 2004, 2003, shut down in Front Street in uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey. And you have these little punch-outs here. And those punch-outs, uh, so uh, uh, an electrician will often make a mistake and they'll have the wrong punch at them and everything. So what do people do? They put duct tape over it, of course, to cover it up when they should be getting a new uh, a cover. So uh, that was what that sounds like. And citation three, item one. Oh, you're, this is one I don't normally see. But this is 1910-141-G4. Food or beverages are stored in an area uh, exposed to toxic materials. $1,378 for a grand total of $175,047. Wow. 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 This is a local one out of Marlton, New Jersey. I know this contractor. Department of Labor finds a Newark contractor willfully exposed workers to fall hazards in six inspections in three months. They're on the groove no list again. Uh, this is a local emphasis program on falls uh, initiated out of the Mount Laurel OSHA uh, office. So in total, OSHA cited the company for 17 series and four willful violations. And, and they were, they were uh, doing framing and sheathing services at residential construction sites throughout New Jersey. Let's click on this. What do we got here? 
Okay, citation one item one serious, nineteen twenty six five zero one. This is six foot fall protection rule, sixty two hundred dollars. That was at one site, and this is another. Wow, they issued one. This one was uh, in January, and this was. Warrant or freight electric cords at the at the job site. Two thousand six hundred seventy-eight dollars proposed penalty. Citation one, item two, ladder use. Uh, that ladders were used uh, for purposes other than the purpose for what they were designed. A worker was exposed to fall hazards up to eight feet all, to the floor surface flow when using an A-frame ladder in the closed position. Five thousand three hundred fifty-eight dollars. I tell you what, these are all great case studies for what we're doing for my training class next week. Citation one, item one. Uh, citation two, item one, $62,000. Again, six-foot fall protection rule. Citation two, item two, willful serious, no fall protection, $62,000. For a grand total of that thing, $133,044. To make things even worse, they got hit, hit again. This one was in February. They got whacked twice in January. You think they would have learned, but no, they move into February. Citation one, item one, nineteen ten one seventy eight. This is a forklift. Uh, no training. $4,400. So, by the way, we do forklift training here. 845-269-5772. Citation one, item two. Warn or frayed electric cords, 2600 bucks. Citation one, item three. Ladder use, again. That's a little bit of a technical one. Doesn't read well for a uh, thing, but they were improper ladder use, $6,200. Citation one, item four. Guy was on a ladder and moved. they moved the ladder while the guy was on it. Uh, I First time I saw that was with my old boss, Greg, over in Wayne. Uh, it was for a company you've heard, everyone's heard of uh, that services uh, trailers in Wayne, Indiana. $5,358. Citation one, item five. Employees using ladders are carrying objects or loads that could cause the employee to lose balance and fall. $6,200. Citation two, item one. So the employer did not ensure that each affected employee used appropriate higher face protection, no fit, safety glasses. $53,573 for no safety glasses. This was a willful violation. Citation two, item two. I tell you what, for willful violation, they got off pretty cheap on that, uh, right? Citation two, item two, willful serious. Six-foot fall protection rule. $62,504 for a grand total that time of $141,078. And on to the next one, which was, when was this inspection? 
in March. So they have one in a couple in January, a couple in February. Now we're into March. Citation 191, type of violation, serious. Again, forklifts, no training. $4,400. Citation 1, item 2. Another forklift. Uh, did I do? Forklift. Oh, this is a lovely one. Forklifts were used to support scaffold platforms while the entire platform was not attached to the fork and the forklift was moved horizontally, meaning up uh, side to side, while the platform was occupied. $6,250. Citation 1, item 3. Another scaffolding issue, uh, not fully, uh, not fully, uh, uh, basically incomplete scaffolding is how I'm, I would interpret that. $6,250 and people were using it. Fall protection on the next one, $6,250, right? And these are all residential homes here. 1926, 503, this was the employer did not assure that the employee exposed to floral hazards was trained by a competent person qualified in the areas specified in the fall protection standard. And that was $4,465. By the way, we do fall protection competent person training, and we are competent persons here. 845-269-5772. And we have another one here. This one was in January. It goes back to January. So, uh, happy new year, guys. Citation one, item one. No hard hats, $6,200. Citation two, six-foot fall protection standard violation, $6,250. I'm just flabbergasted here. Another one, $6,250 for fall protection, uh, six-foot rule. Training, another $6,200. And that's what it comes down to, folks. I'm forwarding all of these to my client. And there was one other uh, thing I wanted to uh, address here. Okay, and I just closed it out. Lead-based paint, EPA. So this is from... The Environmental Protection Agency press release was today. Uh, Biden and Harris administration proposes to strengthen lead-based paint standards to protect against childhood lead exposure. Now, everyone knows here, I think, if you don't know, you're going to find out right now. Place in my heart in government housing for lead-based paint. My first opinion piece, and I wish I still had it, was on this subject back in the year 2000 uh, on this. Uh, I'd love to know what I ever did with that. But essentially what it came down to was this. The government housing is not maintained and children are getting exposed to lead from lead-based paint. Right? Uh, so what they're saying is 
today, the U.S. EPA announced a proposal to strengthen requirements for the removal of lead-based paint hazards in pre-1978 buildings and child care facilities known as abatement activities to better protect children and communities from the harmful effects of exposure to lead to dust generated from lead paint, advancing President Biden's whole-of-government approach to protecting families and children from lead exposure. If finalized, this rule is estimated to reduce the lead exposures of uh, 2,500 to 500,000 children under age six per year. So we have, uh, we try to target children in this country between the ages of six months and six years. That's not what this article says. I'm just telling you because I'm, you know, I started that. I was a former lead inspector risk assessor for New Jersey. Uh, because that's where children spend a lot of their time on the hands and knees crawling around the floor and at areas where they could get, uh, you know, exposure to lead, you know, at, usually during that age. And let's recall, lead causes all different types of issues with children, adults too, but especially with children. Aligning with the federal action plan on reducing lead exposure to children, these stronger standards would go further to protect the children from the dangers of lead exposure uh, with this, and where are they doing this? Uh, so what they're doing is they are going from the 10 micrograms per square foot for floors and 100 micrograms per, foot per square foot for windowsills to any reportable level greater than zero in, of greater than zero. Uh, in recognition of the fact there are no lead-level dust that has been found to be safe for children. Today's proposal will lower the uh, DLCL uh, from 10 micrograms per foot squared to 3 micrograms per foot squared for floors and from 100 micrograms per foot squared to 20 micrograms per foot squared for uh, windowsills. So uh, I don't know what DLCS is. Dust level, clearance level. Okay. Uh, okay, so... What does it come down to? They're going to a zero threshold with all this stuff. And the report goes on and on. It's probably worth a separate program or segment on just that. So here we are. I wanted to thank everybody for listening and bearing with us. Uh, tonight, we are going to see you tomorrow night. Uh, and good night. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Good night, everybody.